Welcome back to the Renaissance Podcast, Papa Bear. It's episode 18. I am truly excited to be here. <laughs> he sounded. <laughs> um, now, in our last episode, we had uh, Hypatia of Alexandria having the skin flayed from her body <laughs> while she was still alive. Right. By uh, um, good, good, good Christians <laughs> gouging out her eyes. Tearing her limbs, setting her on fire. But the question I want to ask in this episode, Ray, is when did the decline in an interest in the classics start to take hold in the West? Okay. And it probably started with Basil. Listen, don't mention the war. I mentioned it once, but I think I got away with it all right. So, it's all forgotten now, and let's hear no more about it. So that's two egg mayonnaise, a prawn gerbils, a Herman Goring, and four colded salads. Oh, wait a minute, I got a bit confused here. Sorry, I got a bit confused because everyone keeps mentioning the war. So could you... What's the matter? It's all right. Is there something wrong? Will you stop talking about the war? Me? You started it? We did not start it. Yes, you did. You invaded Poland. (laughs) (laughs) Total gold. Um, But we're not talking about Basil Fawlty, unfortunately. We're talking about Basil of Caesarea. Yeah. Basil the Great. A.K.A. A.K.A. Yeah, St. Basil or Basil the Great. Now, he was an influential bishop from Cappadocia, in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, which is where Caesarea was. Um, you may recall going back, we talked about Eusebius of Caesarea. He was one of the guys that was part of the Arian versus the Trinitarian. Big debates around the time of uh, Constantine I. Well, Basil is one of his successors as mm. the Bishop of Caesarea um, 100 years or so later. Died in the late 4th century. Born into a wealthy family raised a Christian by his mother mostly because his father was martyred uh, before the Constantine um, Edict of Toleration. He got a classical education, though, because he was wealthy, uh, first studied in Caesarea, then in Constantinople, where he falls under the spell of a charismatic uh, dick-tickling preacher. (laughs) And, And Basil decides to leave his legal and teaching career and devote himself to Christianity. He wrote, I had wasted much time on follies and spent nearly all of my youth in vain labors and devotion to the teachings of a wisdom that God had made foolish. Suddenly I awoke as out of a deep sleep. I beheld the wonderful light of the gospel truth. And I recognize the nothingness of the wisdom of the princes of this world. Nice. How, how do you pronounce the bishop's name again? The charming bishop? The charming bishop? That, that changed his life when he met him? Oh, uh, I don't know. Didn't write it down in my notes. Okay. No. Eustasius of Sabate? Oh, yeah. I was just wondering. Yeah, that's why I didn't write it. That's why I didn't write it down because <laughs> yeah. I knew I wouldn't be able to pronounce it. <laughs> But again, but again, I mean, I, I just want to stop on this for a second. Just like with um, Constantine when he was a young man. Uh, Constantine, shit. Um, 
Augustine, Augustine, when he when he's a young man and he meets um, Ambrose. I mean, here's a guy with a with a who's got a way with words, a charming tongue, a, probably a great personality. And you, you wonder if they if they fall under the sway of their message about God or the or the way they deliver it. But again, this guy's a, a very smooth talking, charming bishop. He makes a big impression on this young man, and now he, like you said, he's dropping his. Uh, job as a was a lawyer or a teacher or rhetoric rhetorician, and now he's devoting himself to the church or to God. Yeah, this guy really got um, Basil all excited. He said, uh, "You know, I'm just so excited. You really just make me feel like dancing." <laughs> People haven't worked it out by now. We're doing the Leo Sayer phase. <laughs> We're in the Leo Sayer phase of our oh, yeah. music appreciation. You've got a new way of walking. You've got the better of me. Stop your fingers from walking. Like a dog hanging on a leash. People. You can't be, you can't be sad and listen to Leo exactly. Sayer at the same time. It's, it's the happiest music ever. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Okay, so back to Basil. <laughs> Woo, coming down. Um, now he gave away his fortune and is known for his work with the poor. He set up soup kitchens, tried to convert thieves and prostitutes, tried to save their lives. And here's something I bet you didn't know. In Greek and Eastern tradition, Santa Claus is based on Saint Basil, <laughs> not on Saint Nicholas. Wow, I did not know that. That's why I said I bet you didn't know that. That that's the, like the highest compliment I can think of. Yeah, yeah. right. I'm gonna make you into Santa Claus. Um. Now, he's also known for having a huge influence on the monastic movement. He, he came up with a lot of the rules for how monks should live and what monks should do that stuck around forever. Had a big influence on St. Benedict, created the Benedictine monasteries. But what I want to talk about is his very influential pamphlet, The Right Use of Greek Literature, or also known as To Young Men on How They Might Profit from Pagan Literature. Okay. Did you dig it up and have a read, Ray? Uh, not as much as I should have. Which is means at all. Well, that's one, one, one interpretation. It's been a bad week for me. Hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, 
Well, I did, um, and yeah, it's uh, interesting, and it's it's interesting in a number of ways. It was probably written later in his life, around the three seventies. Mm-hmm. So before Augustine, right, is when this guy's uh, uh, working. But he, he basically says this: Look, kids, reading the pagan literature is pretty cool. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Um, there's a lot of good stuff to be learned. Now, again, this is 370, so before, after Constantine, but before Theodosius. So Christianity is right. legal, but it's not the sole religion of the empire yet. Gotcha. So pagan literature is still around. He's like, listen, reading it is, is cool. Sure, don't get me wrong. I love a little bit of Homer as much as anyone. But don't read the naughty bits. Ah. Because they will corrupt your soul. Now, in, ba- in Basil's telling, the naughty bits include anything that talk about sex or nudity or there being multiple gods or gods having sex or nudity or <laughs> gods having sex with gods or gods having sex with humans. Don't read any of that stuff. That's bad stuff. That'll fuck you up. That's a lot of it, though. Just re- <laughs> It is a lot of it, though, yeah. Just read the good bits. Uh, Here's a quote from uh, good old Basil. But least of all, shall we give attention to them when they narrate anything about the gods and especially when they speak of them as being many and these two not even in accord with one another. For in their poems, brother is at feud with brother and father with children and the latter in turn are engaged in a truceless war with their parents. But the adulteries of gods and their amours and their sexual acts in public, and especially those of Zeus, the chief and highest of all, as they themselves describe him, actions which one would blush to mention of even brute beasts, all these we shall leave to the stage folk. Ah, so I guess that also means don't don't go to a play either. And apparently it also means don't read the uh, birth narrative in uh, Matthew and Luke because that has Yahweh fucking Mary. (laughs) Okay, he didn't fuck her. He magically impregnated her, but that's just fucking by other means as far (laughs) as I'm concerned. It's like he he IVF'd Mary. (laughs) He he, he, somehow IV'd her up the pussy. I don't know. Basically, it's the same thing, but that's okay. The Jewish god impregnating a young woman is all right, just not yeah. when the Greek gods or the Roman gods do it. However, he does uh, name check Alexander the Great in this uh, book. He says, you should be like Alexander the Great. What would Alexander do? Uh, he says, he says, you remember that time when Alexander captured the daughters and the wife of Darius, mm-hmm. and even though they were the most beautiful women in the land, he refused to even look upon them because to do so would be inappropriate. It would be mean, it would scare them, and he would probably want to fuck them if he looked at them. So he decided, I'm not even going to look because that way I won't be tempted to fuck them because that would be bad because they're my prisoners and I'm a good guy. I have to ask, do you remember him not even looking at them once they were captured? Because I thought he said to them, like, think of me as your father. I will find you husbands. I just assumed he was talking to them while in the same room with them while, I don't know, looking at them. Yeah, he did do that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
Um, and so, you know, Basil's just making up. Basil knows his audience isn't actually reading <laughs> the Alexander histories. Or listening to our podcast. Oh, listen to our podcast, yeah. No, he did, yeah. He went to see them. Because I remember when he first went in, it was either the Queen or the Queen's mother um, sort of bowed down to... Yeah, and he don't, said, don't do that. No, no, he bowed, they bowed down to um, Alexander's boyfriend. They assumed oh, he was Alexander because right. he was the most beautiful man ever and they thought he must be Alexander. And, and, they, and then when they found out that there wasn't, they bowed down to the right guy, they were terrified that Alexander was going to punish him and he's like, hey, it's cool, he's a beautiful man, that's why I fuck him up the butt, man. Like, <laughs> don't, don't, no, no problem you. there. Yeah, yeah. I don't blame yeah. you. I bow to yeah. him too, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> That's right. I let him fuck me up the butt. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bow down Bob to you Louis. right now and you can watch. So, Bob yeah, he's, Basil's got his story a bit wrong there, but at least he name-checked Big Al, which was cool. Yeah. He says you shouldn't even think naughty, sexy thoughts because that's bad. That's just as bad as doing it, as thinking about it. I I have to interject here. Heather's mother said that to me before Heather and I got married and I just I just I just went what so and, thinking and, about what and said and, and yeah. said don't think sexy thoughts yeah and Anne is um oh, god I hope she never hears this she is someone in the Ann. 70s uh and the 60s did things that people did in the 60s and 70s I know that she did because she's bragged about him when she's drunk. And now she's sitting there telling me not even to think dirty thoughts. And so I just remember going, okay, all right. If, if that's what it takes to make you happy, I'll tell you that I'm not thinking anything. She's anyway, not like that anymore, though, right? Anne's cool. She's cool now. She's, she's loosened up. She's, mm. She was wild in the 60s, got all tight, mm. and now she's loosened up again. So it's been a roller coaster ride. Yeah, I love Anne. I've, I've really yeah. enjoyed hanging out with Anne. She's super cool. She is. Um, yeah, well, that's that comes from Basil. And, you know, th- this gets back to what I was talking about, I think, at the end of the last episode. People who say, oh, your podcast, you use too many bad words or you talk about sex too much. And like, I'm like, yeah, but that's the point of fucking life, people. And this, the, the Christians demonized the, 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 the idea of sex, which is right. just – Probably the most evil thing you can do is to make sex bad. Masturbation and sex, doing it or thinking about it. Because, again, there's a very fucking point of being alive. The, the very thing that humans exist to do biologically is to procreate. That's the whole point. And we've yeah. got a million years of evolution driving us to procreate, which means it's driving us to fuck and to think about fucking. That's the entire fucking point. So the most evil thing you can possibly do is to make the point of existence bad, to say that it's a bad thing. Take the very core of what it means to be an animal and say that's wrong, you shouldn't do that. That is the single most despicable thing I can think of, and that's the core of what Basil and Augustine were teaching. It became the core yeah. of Christian th- theology for a millennia and or two. Yeah, I mean, for someone like me who grew up uh, Baptist and then Southern Baptist, I mean, nudity, sex, 
puberty, all that stuff was bad, all that stuff was evil, all that stuff had to do with shame and guilt. And so you're absolutely right. And if I could take it um, down a slightly different path, this whole thing with cussing, uh, a lot of you will remember when we first started, I did not cuss as much as I do now. But like we were talking about on the show last week, which I can't remember what show that was, the idea that words are bad, it, it's a its a construct. It's a, men, it's a mentality or something that you were told when you were young, and that's why you believe it. Not because it's the universal truth. It's just that that's what you were told when you were young and impressionable. And we're not trying to upset anybody. We're just not confined to these restraints that society or certain parts of society have have put onto us. They're just words. They're They're just words. words. They're just sounds. They can't hurt you. They're just sounds that go into your ear. I'm going to use the words yeah, I'm going to hole. use, and uh, and yeah, people don't like it. Then yeah, you, seriously, you need to ask yourself why. Why? Why do I find these words offensive? Why do they upset me? It's a it's a fruitful path of inquiry. Yeah. yeah, explore yourself. And it goes back to Basil and Augustine. Yeah, in many yeah. ways. Now Basil says the good Christians should be like bees. Bzzz. Do you want to try like and that? work that, seeing as you haven't read the source material as part of your we research? Like Do you want bees. to try and we should work, stay busy, stay productive, listen to our leader? That's all I've got. None of that. No. Damn. He says oh. when a bee goes to a flower, they only take the good stuff from the flower. They don't take oh. the whole flower. Right. They just take the yeah. the, the 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 nectar, the pollen. You pagan like literature is like that. You, you should you should go to the pagan literature. Just take the good stuff. Don't don't take all of it because it's full of all kinds of sins. You know, if can, you can, I. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go I'm ahead. sorry to mean uh, interrupt your flow. Like, I listen, just want- after four years, let's just like let's do this. Like after four years, <laughs> let's just come to the understanding that if 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 we cross over and and you. If I've been talking and then I start to talk and you interrupt and I stop, then <laughs> that that means it's your turn to talk. If if I want to keep going, I'll just barrel over the top of you'll you. Just, you'll just Australian it and keep going. Anyway. Yeah. No, I yeah, just, yeah. So if I stop, it means yeah. you don't have to say I'm sorry after you. Just talk. Okay. If I've I... stopped talking... Oh Just God. keep going. You don't have okay. to apologize and say after you every time. I'm not an 85-year-old woman who can't get through the fucking revolving doors at the bank. Just go on in there. Slip it in. Oh, I can't wait to hit on your mom. No, I was just going to, what you were just saying there, compare that to Augustine. I mean, for this, for Basil, that's like a that's a lot of trust to say to someone, here's something, here's a book, here's a text, or here's whatever, take the good stuff, don't even look at the bad stuff, and and then walk away. I mean, but that's putting a lot of trust in someone's decision-making a character, whereas whereas I would imagine Augustine is like, no, no, forget it all, forget it all, don't even, don't even go there, don't even open it, don't even think about that book. It just seems to be a much more pragmatic, practical, trusting person Basil's advice seems to be. I don't know if Augustine said that either, because he said, look, those things are only useful if mm-hmm. they add to your understanding of Scripture. So he still said you ah. could 
cherry pick bits and pieces of them, but only if they means to an end. Gotcha. Yeah, only if they helps you become a better okay. Christian. Now, of course, as as we've talked about in our Caesar show over the years, um, and, and in our Alexander show. The ancient literature was full of stuff that would be upsetting to Gentile Christians. In Homer's Iliad, you would see how the god Ares seduced Aphrodite, and then they were both caught in the middle of the act. Um, You read Oedipus, and you'll find the declaration that the power of the gods is perishing. You read even Virgil, and uh, you'll find Dido and Aeneas fucking in a cave during a rainstorm. Um, there's idolatry and blasphemy and lust and murder and vanity right throughout Greek and Roman literature, which is what made them so much fun then <laughs> and now. Because the, the Greeks and the Romans accepted humanity, sex and, and, uh, uh, and violence and lying and deceit. They understood that this was part of human nature and they talked about it they they laughed at it they sang songs about it they put it in plays they they talked about how to be better people more moral and ethical people as well but they didn't shy away from it for mm. that we have to thank the christians they said oh no oh don't want to don't 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 want to think about it don't want to see it don't want to hear about it and in, in my mind as i said before it's the greatest evil ever perpetuated perpetrated on the human race. Kind of reminds me of my grandmother. Right. True story. My grandmother used to take a black felt pen and redact all of the naughty words in books I liked to read as a kid. Uh, Racy things like Jack London's White Fang. (laughs) If, if, If the guy, the protagonist in the book told White Fang to... Go to hell. She would. Right. Uh, she would redact hell out of the book. I picked up these books one day. I'm reading them at my grandmother's place. Yeah, they're redacted. <laughs> I'm like, what? I was like ten. My grandmother's gone through and redacted all of these books that I'm trying because they had naughty words in them. She worked for the CIA at one point. <laughs> uh, she was great. My grandmother. I loved her. She. She was. She's the one who used to take me to church and Sunday school when I was a little kid. Mm. Uh, redacting, didn't, didn't yeah. you no, know, didn't take. In fact, it had the the uh, the opposite uh, reaction when I heard them. When I actually started listening to what they were talking about, I was like, "What? <laughs> I don't, I don't a bullshit. Where's the? How do I get out of here?" Um, now, uh, according to Basil, whenever the whenever the ancient authors wrote about the pleasures of great banquets or enjoyed a, a wanton song about titties. Um, <laughs> you should ignore those as well. Even those things would corrupt you. Now, even to speak the words out loud and you would pollute your soul, like if you were to read Carmen 16 by the poet Catullus. Now, we've talked about Catullus before. Um, it opens with the infamous line, Pedicabo ego vos et eromabu. Which means? I will fuck you up the ass and I will fuck you in your mouth. <laughs> no! And you can get your T-shirt and coffee mug with that on it at our Redbubble site. 
because I posted it. I did a design the other day. It's a lovely design. It's a wonderful design. It's fantastic. You're going to love it. <laughs> is that the Absolutely. circle? It's the circle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that is a cute shirt. It's a summery, sunny kind of shirt that I'm going to wear. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to wear when we go to Italy just to oh, see God. if God. <laughs> anyone oh, picks God. up on it. Um, uh, and it's a great, and I highly recommend you track down um, a copy of Catullus and read it if you can find one. Um, because up until the late 20th century, the entire poem, it's part of a whole series of poems that he wrote, the entire poem either was deleted from most English publications or that line, which is the first and the last line of the poem, was deleted from the poem in the translation or they left the first and the last lines in Latin and translated the rest of it. (laughs) Pretty clever. I went through and dug up some old translations of this. It's quite fascinating. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's how pervasive this mindset was that you shouldn't use bad words or talk about naughty, sexy things. Up until the late 20th century, this still, in in the United States, this still would have fallen under the Censorship Act. Um, You know, Henry Miller, I'm a big fan of Henry Miller. I'm rereading for the upteenth time Tropic of Cancer and Tropic of Capricorn at the moment and Anna Inns Diaries. I read them you know, so every 10 years, you know, I go back to the well with Henry Miller and, and Anais. And, you know, Henry Miller, who wrote Tropic of Cancer and Tropic of Capricorn while he was living in Paris in the 30s, they weren't published in the United States, I think, until the late 60s. They oh were banned God. in the United States, his own country, until the late 60s because they, f- they were censored because of the bad language and bad acts. So that's how pervasive this mindset was. Um, also, uh, the other one they didn't like was Marshall, um, Epigran 190, um, where mm-hmm. he talks about having uh, a woman having lesbian relationships with other women. As he writes, uh, you improvised by rubbing cunts together and using that bionic clit of yours to counterfeit the thrusting of a male. Right. Now, I was sort of shocked when I read that. I thought, bionic clit. I thought the $6 million man was the first person to have a bionic body part. Steve Austin, astronaut. A man barely alive. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. We have the capability to make the world's first bionic man. Steve Austin be that man better than he was before better stronger faster I have to ask. I'm sorry. This is this is going to be um, this is going to make people cringe. But if it costs six million dollars to give a guy two bionic legs, a bionic right arm, a bionic right eye, and a bionic, I think his hearing. I can't remember his hearing. How much would it cost to just do the bionic clit? 
No, well, it was Jake's. It was the six million dollar woman, Jamie Summers, that had the bionic okay. ear. She got the oh. ear. He got the he eye. Got the eye. Okay. So together they could see and hear, but you know, just one of them. They could only do one of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I think the clit. Um, uh, you know, I think it's not a well. Surprisingly, you might think right. it's not a big body part, but it's actually enormous. Really? It's just that most of it is subcutaneous. Ah, it's that's quite the only part a, I care about. Well, yeah. but, but see, that's why you're a failure as a lover because <laughs> quit talking the, to people. The the G spot uh, is is part of the uh, clitoral region, and and you have to get in there, man, and get it all. Okay. You know, I try and touch all of the clitoral clitoral <laughs> area simultaneously. I go for broke. We're- we're, we're going to talk about this more in Paris, but let me let me bring up one other thing. As you, as you found out last week, uh, my father was in the military. My mother was a cop. I grew up on Air Force bases, very conservative, very sheltered uh, life. And so when Heather and I went to Rome for our honeymoon, and she doesn't listen to this, so this is okay. I saw some of the most beautiful women in the world um, wearing, you know, many skirts, not wearing bras, barely anything on, just, and just but, but they were comfortable in their sexuality, and that was such an eye-opening thing for me because I'd lived such a sheltered life that I only then started, in some ways, started to grasp that just because what I was taught about sex and, and other things like cussing and sex and, and uh, stuff like that that. It wasn't right or wrong. That was just what I was taught in my region of the world, and it started to open my eyes. And so for people who don't go out and read and experience life and travel, they're, they're not going to know much more than what their environment or their parents tell them is okay and what is not okay. I thought the rest of that story was I got married to Heather, went on my honeymoon, and saw these women in Rome and went, oh, shit, what have I done? <laughs> No, she's my German hottie. I'll keep her. But, you know, just a very sheltered life where obviously the standards of dress and, 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 and uh, relax, being relaxed about their sexuality was very different than in the South and the United States. Mm. That's always yeah. my point. Yeah, travel. I agree with you. Get out. Yeah. You know, Chrissy's story, which I've told you before, but, you know, she grew up in obviously little Mormon town of Utah and her world changed when she went to Germany at 17 as an exchange student for a year and she was like – Oh shit! Like this entire world of people that are good people, uh, but aren't Mormons. She didn't. She mm-hmm. thought all non-Mormons were Satan worshippers, and wow. that's where she learned to have a drink and have a smoke and all that kind of stuff. Had her first cigar in, in Munich, I think. Cool. Gotta so get out and move travel. Yeah. By the way, if other people are wondering about the bionic clit comment, I went and looked <laughs> at several translations. So, um, one of the translations had it as a mega clit. Um, I, I, I don't know the Latin, so I can't translate it myself, but it would look like that's, uh, uh, right. uh you know, modern translators are looking for ways, but it was like your, your, uh, amazingly powerful clit, I guess, is what Marshall was going for there. <laughs> Getting back to Pedicabo Erumabo, uh, Carmen 16, it's worth a read. What it's actually about is there was a couple of guys that were criticizing Catullus for being a pussy, basically. Because he talked a lot about kissing in right. his poems and, and romantic uh, love of women, and they were accusing him of being effeminate. And so he starts this poem with, I'll fuck you in your ass and in your mouth if you call me effeminate. Come here and I'll show you who's effeminate Damn. <laughs> when I ass and mouth rape you. It's, that's the poem. 
That's fucking awesome, man. Like, and he, again, he... <laughs> He went toe-to-toe with Big Julie, I think, at one point. Right. So he wrote something about Big Julie. So that's when he's writing, is in like the you know the 50s, I think, uh, BCE. He's like, yeah, I'll come here and say that. I'll fuck you up, man. That's the poem. It's great. He, he won that argument. Oh. So <clears throat> as we've seen on the Augustus show, Ovid as well liked to talk about his own lunchtime love making oh the shape of her breasts demanded that i caress them which inspired people to make out and eventually got him exiled as we just covered recently on the show yeah something got him exiled now basil says that when you come across such passages as a good christian you must flee from them and stop up your ears oh god so again this is this this sort of turning point where the idea is you should stop thinking about sex in all its forms. Stop thinking about it. Stop doing it. Even as Augustine says, you're, if you're married, still it's wrong to do it. Lust is bad. Talking about sex is bad. This whole thing that evolution has spent millions of years driving into us is bad. It's offensive or it's uncouth. It's fucked up. Uh, that is that is where this all comes from, and um, it's uh, messed up, man. It's very messed yeah. up. There's one line from from that advice to the young man where he says, "It is sheer madness to be a slave to the body and serve it." So yeah, it's almost like try to distance yourself from your own body and the very natural thoughts your body has about other people's bodies. And and that in itself isn't like a, a terrible idea. I mean, philosophers going back to the Stoics and the Epicureans and Marcus Aurelius. I know Marcus Aurelius was was celibate mostly. He kind of thought sex was sort of a little bit weird and icky. Um, he wanted yeah. to, he would rather dedicate himself to uh, study and and being enlightened as a philosopher. Um, so the, the idea that you should not be a slave to lust 100% of the time wasn't a new idea. That had been around for a long time. You should try and control your urges, do something else with your life. Don't just sit around and jerk off all day like a <laughs> podcaster. Um, but t- taking it from, you know, try and put a limit on the amount of porn you watch every day is very different from saying this is evil and you're going to go to hell if you do it, which is where it eventually right. gets to. Now, but Basil, of course, saw all of this as an act of love, like Augustine and torturing people. Mm. He said that removing all of these great sections from the classical literature was an act of great care. He was caring for the souls of the people by telling them not to read it or by censoring it. It was a good thing. It was a loving act. Right. In fact, are you getting this? I'm sorry. Are you getting the sense that he wanted, um, almost like the government to get involved, like to make something like um, eroticism illegal or just that if it's out there for people to just ignore it and because it would obviously make them think about things like sex. I'm not sure that Basil... It's like on a personal level. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, Basil definitely advocated uh, censorship, removing these books. I'm not sure if he had any influence on uh, governments or politicians in his time, but he certainly advocated as being the right thing to do. And mm. then not long after him, Cyril, the Bishop of Alexandria that we talked about in the last episode, actually had his Parabolani conduct house searches to hunt out works by Julian the Apostate, the famous Damn. pagan, briefly, uh, <laughs> brief pagan emperor that we've talked about on the series. Yeah. So, you know, we, we see the beginnings of, of that. Now, that's happened before. We saw that during the persecutions of Diocletian, uh, Christian scriptures and Manichaean scriptures were confiscated and burned. So the Christians didn't invent that, but um, they certainly took hold of that, at least from Cyril onwards. Uh, But it's not just from heretical literature. Uh, in, In Diocletian's case, believe that Christians were were upsetting the gods, turning them against the state. Um, in the Christian view, it's not so much that the uh, that owning the existence of these works is turning the gods or their god against the state, but against the souls of the people. So we're going to stop you from reading this book for your own good. We're doing it because we love you. Exactly. We're trying to save you. Yeah. Now, the influence of Basil's essay on Western culture was profound. It was read and reread and copied for centuries. It affected what was read and studied, and importantly, what was preserved across Western civilization. And this gets back to the Dark Ages and the Renaissance, right? So they decided not to keep copies of these old books the 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 um oh shit tr- the plays the the books on philosophies the books the poems they decided not to keep them because they were evil they they weren't u- useful to making people better christians so let's just not copy them as we've explained before when when books were written on animal hides or on parchment made from leaves, they deteriorated as a book today made on paper will deteriorate over time. After 100 years or 200 years, unless they're kept in very carefully controlled environments, which didn't exist in the ancient world, they're going to get eaten by bugs, they're going to get mold, they're going to get wet, they're going to just fall apart. So they needed to be copied. At least every hundred years or so, you needed a new copy of it in your library. But vellum, uh, parchment and vellum to write on was rare So and, and took a lot of time to make and it was expensive to produce as a result. So they're like, well, what are we going to make a copy of? One of Augustine's books or Catullus talking about ass raping and mouth raping people? Well, let's right. use it for Augustine. Fuck, fuck Catullus, which is exactly what Catullus wanted to do to us. We're going to we're going to ask fuck and mouth rape Catullus by not copying now, his poems. This might sound incredibly naive, but I honestly, I swear to God, I honestly thought you were going to say because they emphasized certain books over to other ones and the messages within those books that the books that the church frowned upon would be copied, but then they would be kept. 
in a collection somewhere, maybe not in a church, in a, in a university or, or some private collection. But what you're saying is, and again, I know this sounds naive, but they literally said, oh, this is now no longer worthy to keep in circulation, no longer worthy to copy. It doesn't matter that if it just fades away into history, all those books, all those poems or whatever just will disappear over time because they're considered not worthy. Yeah, well, no one's going to read them because they're right. worried about it damaging their soul. So what's the point of keeping books that no one's going to read? Damn, that's that's pretty fucked up. Indeed. And the only reason we have any of those books, well, there were, there were some that they did, like they, they liked some Aristotle, they liked some Cicero, they liked some Plato because it mapped well to Christianity. But the only mm-hmm. reason we have anything outside of a small selection these days is because it was by accident, really. Um, some survived in bits and pieces. It's because the Muslims kept some. Hold on, I've got a four-year-old right. sneaking up behind me. Hi. Hi. It's me, three garbage friends. Wow, that's awesome. Congratulations. I'm, on the, I'm talking to Ray Ray. Can you shut my door, please? No? Okay. <laughs> like we've said before that we have, I mean, it's estimated that we have a small percentage, maybe 1% of oh. the, the literature that existed in, say, Augustus's time. We have about 1% right. of it, and it's, it's just by luck mostly that we have that. He just ran in here and said, hi, mummy and I saw garbage trucks. Um, so yeah, uh, it, it's just by luck that some survived. Some Irish monasteries kept copies of it, and we'll talk about that as we get into the series. There, there were mm-hmm. bits and pieces <clears throat> left lying around um, in monasteries in Europe that had just been forgotten about. Um, the, the the Muslims got hold of some and uh, uh, actually appreciated it, but um, yeah. Outside of that, we're just very lucky that any of it at all exists, thanks to Basil and Augustine and others. Now, getting getting back to Basil, so his work, ironically maybe, was one of the first works translated from Greek during the Renaissance. The Mm. Jesuits placed it on their international syllabus, the Ratio Studiorum, and it had a continuing influence on Jesuit education worldwide. Right. So the editing of the classical canon, um, the censorship of the classical canon, went on for good sort of fifteen hundred years after Basil. Um, as I said before, like well, even longer than that. You you pick up a nineteenth or early twentieth century edition of Catullus and Marshall, and you'll see it's still being censored. Wow! Um, because it was, you know, it had sexual deviancy in it. Right. Um, so yeah, that this this mindset continued for lots of years. I've got a nineteen sixty six edition of Catullus, put out by Penguin, which right. leaves the original lines in Latin, pedicabo et urumabo. Um, so it's okay if you understood Latin, which some people <laughs> did, 
but right. uh, it, 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 most people don't. If, if I could just say something nice about Basil, like you were saying earlier, he did um, do poor houses. He did he, he uh, set up soup kitchens, poor houses. He tried to reform thieves and prostitutes. He did criticize the uh, powerful, the elite, when they abused their power. He did try to honestly pick people uh, that were worthy, that were decent to go and and uh, to become priests and that kind of stuff. So he he did a lot of good things, but on the other hand, he he's going to add to the reason most of us in the Western world have guilt about some things that are quite normal and natural f- because they laid, laid the foundation for it. Indeed. Now, one of the things that comes out of this is not just that people stop reading the classical canon, but also what gets written from now on mm. is different. People aren't going to write that kind of stuff anymore because no one's going to read that stuff anymore. Right. And so we see the range of literature that gets created in the West from the 4th century onwards basically starts to decline in terms of its breadth. Mm-hmm. You know, po- polytheistic literature, pagan literature, had discussed and, and mocked anything and everything from whether or not people have free will uh, to the, the the existence of gods and atoms and through to whether or not you should use urine to clean your teeth um, to how dumb Christians were and we've talked about we've talked about in the Augustus show people were even criticizing Augustus in yeah. their writings and he let it go on He's, he said to Tiberius I think in one of his letters, you know, this the criticize, criticism is the least of our problems. You know, that's that's not something we need to worry about. We, Nobody's we're, trying we're, to kill me. Yeah, we're too big for that. You know, <laughs> we're we're, be, we're above criticism. Don't worry about it. Right. So uh, can I can I put mm. that to the test for a second? I'm sorry, I need to put that to a test for a second. That guy who wrote that really bad criticism of us and wanted to come on the show. I I told Heather what he said, and and I was pretty upset because if he if somebody wants to agree with our opinion on something, that's fine or whatever. But I think one part of his criticism, one part of his review on iTunes, was that these two have probably failed in everything they've ever done in their lives or some, whatever jobs they've ever had, some line like that, and that just <laughs> really pissed me off. And Heather's the one who had to calm me down out about it. So so would you say that? When you heard that, you just probably you probably just thought it was funny because you're a fucking Australian. That, well, that you weren't upset about it. No, I wasn't upset. I thought it was funny. You know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good for you. Means, I've Good I've you. succeeded and failed enough at life to know that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need anyone to tell me I'm I'm a loser, but uh, you know I've had my moments of. of Success and 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 <laughs> the, the opposite of that. It all works out. Uh, I mean, it was just a bizarre, like ludicrous statement to write in the middle of a review, telling us, yeah. starting off, these guys are wrong about their perception of Stalin. By the way, there must be complete losers left. And of course, that guy <laughs> has not come on the show. He keeps avoiding it. I keep giving him opportunities to come on, and he's like, "Oh, I'm too busy. I uh, know. I like. I no. I, I can't make that, that time." Uh, yeah, chicken shit. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. Um, <clears throat> let's wrap this thing up. So, 
you know, what what starts to get written changes because, as I said, people aren't going to read it and also because people aren't um, – well, they, their value of the parchment uh, changes too. They're not, they only want to write good Christian-y things on it. So unlike in the previous centuries, like before Constantine, the centuries after Constantine, there's no rambunctious satirical plays written. There's no wow sexy love poetry written. There's no great works of medicine or philosophy or, or, or politics or ethics outside of the very narrow Christian realm. I mean, the great literature of the 4th and 5th century comes from St. Augustine, St. Jerome, and St. John Chrysostom. I mean, very, very hardcore Christian theologians and thinkers, that's the literature of this era. There's nothing of note outside of that, certainly nothing that's come down to us anyway. Nothing like a Catullus or a Marshall or even a Cicero or a Plato for that matter. The more serious as well as the, you know, lighter stuff. But yeah, none of that's coming down because everybody... It, it, is it a culture of fear? Is it a, is, is it a culture of you just wasting your time or um, repercussions of what might happen to you or just it just gets shut down? Yeah, I think it's, it's a culture of fear. It's the you know, like we we saw this with Theodosius and Ambrose. Like if an emperor can get brought to his knees by the church, mm. imagine what happens to an average civilian. So Good it becomes point. a much more morose and deadly serious world. There's a there's an absence of humor in all of the literature. Um, you know the the joke, the the satire, the cutting someone down to size jibe like we saw in the writings about even Augustus, it's all gone. Christian congregations get get speeches constantly about fire and brimstone, all for their own good, of course. Um, As Chrysostom wrote, uh, and, and I think he was quite pleased with this, he wrote, In our churches we hear countless discourses on eternal punishments, on rivers of fire, on the venomous worm, on bonds that cannot be burst, on exterior darkness. So Party that animal. is, yeah, that is what's going on in Christendom in the 5th century. You know, they the, the Christian preachers may have found all of the classical talk about sex and abortions and buggery and the clitoris as alarming, but probably the more alarming thing that they were trying to avoid people thinking about was philosophy. Right. You know, in the, in the Greek and Roman philosophical schools, you had a whole range of different things you could believe in. Like some philosophies argued that there were countless gods. Others said there was only ah. one god. Others said there were no gods at all. Others said that you couldn't be sure. The philosopher Protagoras who is one of my favorites, I've quoted him uh, before, he wrote, I cannot know either that they exist or that they do not exist, which is my take on Jesus in the film. It's kind of how I finished the film is, uh, you know, did Jesus exist? Honestly, I I don't really know. And I don't think we'll ever know. 
There's really no strong evidence for or against. Maybe, maybe not. It's about as good as we can do, I think. I, I wanted to ask you, so so we were talking about uh, Paul thinking that Jesus would be coming back to final judgment before he dies. You know, hundreds of years go by, and then there's um, then St. Augustine, and now we've had, what, 2,000 years, and Jesus still hasn't come. I, I wonder at what point does another 5,000 years need to go by, 10,000 years, I don't know, when, when there's no second coming and people start to go, I guess a majority of the people or, or, or a large percentage of the people just go, you know, maybe there is nothing to this because supposedly this person was to co- this God was supposed to come back and it's been 10,000 years and nothing's happened. I'm sure someone will, will justify it. Somebody will come up with a, with a believable charismatic argument before it. But I wonder at what point in time, how many years need to go by before people go, eh, you know, I don't think this is real. Well, we know that Christianity is in rapid decline uh, around the world, uh, particularly in Western countries. It's sort of um, mm. collapsing. And I saw that uh, Pope Francis said recently that the church is collapsing because the priests are leaving in droves as well, partially because they're all getting charged with raping little yeah. children, but also I think they're just over the whole deal. So I don't think Christianity is going to last much longer, honestly. I think it's probably got... 50 years left, it'll still be around as some sort of a small yeah. husk of hardcore fanatics, but right. uh, I, don't, I, don't think it, I don't think as a major religion it's got much left in it. It's falling apart. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's wrap this up. So philosophy, I was saying, they had problems with philosophy, even philosophy written by people like Plato, who they kind of liked in some ways uh, because they thought – some of his ideas were good. Like he wrote uh, when he's talking about the forms. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've read much Plato, but Plato had this idea that underlying um, the phenomena of the universe, there were certain pure forms that everything else was built off of, mm-hmm. the platonic forms, the perfect pyramid, the perfect um, – globe, the perfect square, etc., etc. And he thought underlying all of that was a single form of the good. He believed that underlying everything was this force for good, the force, basically. <laughs> and with a little bit of contortionist squeezing, Christians managed to say, see, he was talking about Jesus, even though he didn't know it. They did that a lot with sort of Aristotle and Plato and a bit of Cicero. They called these guys like proto-Christians. They were Christians before Jesus. They just um, didn't know it. Yeah, they kind of had some good Christian ideas there. Not the obvious conclusion, which is the guys that wrote the New Testament were basing some of their ideas off of Plato and Aristotle <laughs> and Cicero. No, no, these guys, these guys, you know, were, were prophets of Christianity. That's that's the that's the more that's a ticket logical conclusion. Um, and uh, But they were still threatened by the rest of their writing. So some Plato survived, some Plato didn't. Some Cicero they liked, some Cicero mm. they didn't. Um, as St. Paul had wrote, as I said earlier or in an earlier episode, the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. This, this um, reason and logic and science and philosophy 
God doesn't like all that shit, so let's get rid of it. And this attitude persisted for millennia, and the whole idea of being an intellectual was something that Christianity frowned upon. The Gnostics, uh, there was a sort of a Christian faction in the second and third centuries, um, highly influential, quite popular. The Nag Hammadi scriptures uh, were were hidden by the Gnostics. the word Gnostic comes from the Greek word for knowledge. The Gnostics mm-hmm. claimed that they had the secret knowledge about what Jesus was really all about and what he really meant, uh, which the Orthodox Christians, the mainstream, the Catholic Christians didn't like that because they thought <laughs> they had the real knowledge. Right. So they, they wiped out the Gnostics after they did their deal with Constantine and then Theodosius tried to get rid of all of their literature as well, and some of it survived, luckily, because a monk somewhere buried it in an earthenware pot in the ground in Egypt, and it was discovered in 1945, I think, in Nag Hammadi in Egypt. But that's it. Wow. That's all. The rest of it's gone. They're all dead, wiped out, all their writings, all their work, gone. Yeah, and the, the, up until 1945, the only thing that we knew about the Gnostics philosophy and teaching was based on Christian writings who declared them heretics Uh, and wrote against heresy uh, books about them. When we got the Nag Hammadi scriptures and they were translated and we could compare the two, what scholars found out is that the Christian claims, the Catholic claims about the Gnostic teachings were actually not what the Gnostics were actually teaching. So it was just anti-Gnostic propaganda right. is what they wrote. Pretty Because they're like the people that have never read Marx or Chomsky or Ayn Rand. They're like, ah, oh, I don't need to read that. I already know it's bullshit. Let me tell yeah. you, let me write an entire book about how much bullshit it is without having ever read it. <laughs> so Christianity, they, one of the greatest scams known to man. The greatest, I would argue. 2,000 years yeah. and 2 billion people strong, man. Yeah. So the, that didn't help. The, the, the connection between Gnostics and knowledge and intellectuals and, and heretics were intellectual before intellectuals were. So therefore, intellectuals must be heretical. If a heretical is intellectual, then an uh, intellectual must be heretical is sort of, sort of the uh, oh logic God. there, I think. And the whole idea of intellectual simplicity, or if we don't want to be too flattering, we just call it ignorance, became celebrated. Being uneducated and simple was actually being, was superior to being educated and intellectual. Wow. How, how did the government, how should I put this? People that are educated, that work in the government, that should know better, I guess it doesn't matter. Even my question doesn't matter. It all falls before the faithful and being called out or being called a sinner or a pagan or whatever. It's like massive peer pressure, peer pressure on a massive scale. Yeah. And it's just a great way of, of maintaining power by stopping people from thinking, telling people it's evil to think and it's evil to have sex is a great way of controlling the people. As Napoleon said, religion is a great thing for controlling the masses. Mm. A a lot of this idea of, of anti-intellectualism came out of the biography of Saint Anthony. Anthony was a a Christian monk from Egypt who 
went and lived in the desert. I think we mentioned him briefly in an earlier episode. Mm-hmm. Um, lived from 250 to 356. Um, 250, uh, 251, um, obviously, is when the Great Plague also started. So he was born in the middle of the Great Plague and managed to survive, uh, amazingly. Wow. Thank God. Yeah. Lived to 105, uh, according to myth. Lived out in the desert, and he was he's considered the first Christian monk. Mm-hmm. He was like, no, nah, I don't, I don't want to live in the city. I'm going to go and live in a little mud hut and make my own clothes and just uh, uh, get, get a lot of diseases and uh, live very simply. And he actually was sort of a, a hermit and became kind of famous as a hermit. I think people kept going to try and see him be a hermit. He was like, I don't think you understand what being a hermit means. <laughs> and... He would keep moving, uh, having to set up a new place, and they'd find him, and he'd be like, no, please leave me alone. I'm not the Messiah. I just want to be a hermit. Um, yeah. So uh, in, his, in, in a biography that was written about him after he died, it said that uh, he refused to learn. Uh, he refused to learn to read and write or to join in the silly games of other little children. So education and silly games are bracketed together and put in opposition to holiness. St. Anthony was the holiest of holies. He didn't get an an education or any of that there book learning. So (laughs) being dumb is associated with being holy. It's almost like that's the path to being saved or whatever they would call being able, you know, being ready for when Jesus comes, whenever he comes. Yes. And even people we know were intellectuals and well-educated ended up falling for this. Like Augustine, when he became a Christian, supposedly started hitting himself on the head and tearing his hair out, asking, what is wrong with us intellectuals, that we've missed the point of everything? Jeez. Ignorance was power. And again, this is an idea that is still with us today we've we've seen the 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 rise again in the west of anti-scientific thinking with the climate change stuff uh with with things about abortion um uh with things about medicine and diseases and cloning all this sort of stuff we have this uh, and 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 um euthanasia this this Denial of intellectualism and science and thinking is still prevalent in parts of the West today, which is one of the reasons I really wanted to do the Renaissance show. Right. Because I, I, I want us to explore how the, the factors that led to the Dark Ages still exist today and are making a comeback in some c- circles. You know, the Christian, yeah. the evangelical right has really got its political mojo in order over the last 30 years or so uh, around the West, and um, they're being taken seriously and trying to push their agenda uh, stronger than they were, say, in the early to middle 20th century. Well, that's all I've got, Ray, for this yeah. episode. I want to uh, read some... I want to read out some subscri- some subscribe some subscribers. There, I got it out. Three three hours, people. Three and a half hours. 
But before that, I'm going to read a review. This is from Australia, SM1977. So entertaining. I'm a big fan of all Ray and Cam's other podcasts, Life of Caesar, Augustus, The Cold War, The BS Filter. So I was really excited when they announced this show. In true Ray and Cam fashion, they don't start in the 1300s. Hell no. (laughs) Instead, they pick apart the rise of Christianity and the origins of the Dark Ages so we have a greater understanding about the true awakening that was the Renaissance period. You'll go from incredulity to rage at the stories of wanton barbarity of the early Roman Christians, turning their backs on learning and reason. Most of all, you will learn, laugh, and have fun listening to this great podcast. Keep up the awesomeness, guys. Thank you, Sheena. I know her name is Sheena because she wrote Sheena at the end. Send us an email. We'll send you a token of our appreciation. Let me read some of our more recent subscribers. Um, Darby D. Christopher, Andrew Hung, Ellie Picone, Neil Hill, Jacob Brinkman, Nick Jorse, Jonathan Landy, Stephanie Therian, Nicholas Stark. Hey, Nick. Laurel Chercos, Thais Cavallo, Matthew Paul, Scott Banks. Hey, Thais. Thais. She's a local, local Brisbane girl. Um, I've met her. Um, Matthew Paul, Scott Banks, and that's it. They're the last ones in the nice, last Nice. Thank few you. Weeks. Welcome to the show, peeps. We love you. All right. Well, that's it, Ray. Uh, yeah. We'll be back. In a couple of weeks with uh, more Renaissance. Don't know what we're doing next. I don't know what I don't know what comes next. Do you? Um, no. Darkness and then light. No, I know what comes next. Okay. Dancing. <laughs> Leave our-